Jesus. Jesus grew up as a, a carpenter. He worked with his father. Then, aged 30, his ministry started. He called 12 men to himself, no one special, fisherman, a, a tax collector. The others, we don't even know their professions. For three years, they traveled together, they walked the road, they visited the towns and the, and the villages. As Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. He performed healings, miracles, he, he drove out demons. His followers called him rabbi and teacher. They even, as one of his closest disciples exclaimed, came to know him as the, the Messiah, the Son of God. Then, then he set his face towards Jerusalem. He rode in on a, on a colt, the, the foal of a, a donkey. It was a prophetic fulfillment of something that was written 500 years previous. And it didn't escape notice with the Jewish multitudes. They shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then Jesus went into the temple. He drove out those who bought and sold. He overturned the tables of the money changers, shouting, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. The air was, was thick with, with tension, with the threat of, of violence. And five days later, Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And given the choice between Jesus, the, the Messiah, or Barabbas, a notorious prisoner, that same crowd that had shouted, Hosanna, now shouted for Barabbas, condemning Jesus to death with cries of, crucify him, crucify him. What followed was barbaric. It always was with a crucifixion. But this one was different. It was prophetic in its intensity. The humiliation of the, the scarlet robe, the, the crown of thorns, the nails through the wrists and through the ankles. The sign over his head that stated, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And those crowds, they, they threw insults at him, they, they shook their heads. This was the scene, the horrendous backdrop to what I want to say here tonight and there is no avoiding it there's no prettying it up just brutality hatred and death and a resistance a, a resistance from Jesus not to the humiliation and the torture but a determination to forgive right to the end it is both the most inhumane of human acts and the most human of God's acts and as Jesus hung there the life and the, the blood seeping from his body. He spoke seven distinctive sayings from the cross before he fell silent. And I want us to, to look at these tonight as we gather to remember. I want us to put each of these sayings under the, the magnifying glass. Get them in the, the center. Look inside the, the mystery. And give God the opportunity to, to speak something new into each of our lives. Something that we haven't seen before. 
new light, new depth, new detail. And this talk is devotional. It isn't prescriptive. Please don't listen to me without slowing down to to think, without having each of the sayings magnified in your own minds and in your own hearts. And the first that Jesus spoke from the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And with each of these sayings, Jesus aimed it, he aimed it at different listeners. Sometimes it was definite, sometimes not so. At this point, the the soldiers were were cast in lots as they divided up Jesus' clothes. And for Jesus to say, Father, forgive them is remarkable. Even at the point of most acute pain, most hatred directed towards him, Jesus prayed for them, for the soldiers' forgiveness. But then, isn't that what Jesus had taught the people when he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The cross was a defining point in the life of Jesus. A defining point in the history and the revelation of God to man. Jesus always embodied his message. He even called himself the way, the truth and the life. This wasn't, this wasn't a, a distant God issuing forth his commands. This was up close and, and personal. And now more than ever, he was laying down what that meant with his life. The message embodied to the very end. And for us, where, where I'm challenged is about the points in, in my life. Those defining Moments where our backs are against the wall or actually nothing is happening of any consequence and no one would know. But we're called by Jesus, not just to to talk the talk, but to walk the walk when it's obvious to all and even more so when it isn't. Those inner thoughts and, and motives. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Even to the point where it gets personal. It gets painful. It gets sacrificial. Us as his followers. Embodying the message of forgiveness. Secondly, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And this was aimed at one of the criminals, one of the, one of the two who hung on crosses either side of Jesus. And it is such a statement of his authority. Even on the cross, there was no loss to Jesus of who he was, his identity. When, when Jesus had confronted Peter, one of the disciples back, back, when Jesus had started to explain what he was going to have to face, Peter had, had took him aside and had rebuked him and said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus had said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. The cross wasn't a shock. It was what Jesus set his face 
towards when he made for Jerusalem and now it elevated Jesus it lifted him up to where the world would see the world would know this was the son of God nailed in place yet having the power to forgive our sins and in this moment in this moment with the the thief on his side there couldn't be more grace this man, this, this criminal murderer, thief, we, we don't know, could do nothing more. His life was over, also nailed in place. And for us, for us, no matter how much we get caught up with offering our goodness, our good words, our good deeds, Jesus will always strip us back to a man on a cross asking for grace and the saviour of the world saying today today you will be with me in paradise and my heart my heart goes out and how much more did Jesus' heart go out to the other criminal the one that missed it who in his last hours on earth could have gone into eternity saved but died lost looking at Jesus thirdly thirdly Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby and he said to her he said to his mother dear woman here is your son and to the disciple he said here is your mother and this here is something so personal so intimate it is God's eye for detail his eye for what is delicate and and precious knowing that his mother now would need another son and the disciple that Jesus had loved and had cared for now needed a mother and could this could this even connect back back to when Jesus looked over Jerusalem And he used the imagery of a mother hen as he wept out these words. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. God knows us. He created our inmost being he knit us together in our mother's womb he loves us as a parent and he wants us back but are we willing to be loved are we willing to be loved not just having the knowledge not acting out of fear or guilt you see sometimes that's easier less intimate but to hear to be in that place of vulnerability where God says I love you that is why that is why God sent his son Jesus for God so loved the world for God so loved us for God so loved you and me that he sent fourthly Fourthly, Jesus cried out in a a loud voice 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How much? How much pain and emotion was placed in each word of that statement? And we know it, don't we? We know it's humanly speaking when someone really means it. The intensity, the the words just cut through to the heart. And it was God. God, his father, that felt this. And maybe this was the, the most painful of all. A recognition of his condition. Of humanity's condition. Separated from God. Jesus was now hanging in the place where we deserve to be. The words themselves are repeated from Psalm 22 verse 1, written by David a a thousand years before when he sang and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? And have, have those words ever gone through our minds? even been on our lips. Maybe not as eloquent, but God doesn't require eloquence, only honesty, heartfelt honesty. And when you realise as well that when Jesus prayed these words from the cross, they are the only, the only recorded time in the Gospels where Jesus doesn't pray to God as Abba, as Father. And it just may be Even though Jesus still trusted God, the intimacy was gone. He was abandoned for the only moment in history. And if a a mother's heart, Mary's human heart was broken before, now a father's heart, God's father's heart was broken now. And never, never can we say that God doesn't know That he doesn't know how far we may at times feel from him. Because in Jesus, he knew it. A father and a son separated. Fifthly. Fifthly, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And this runs together in John's account with the sixth saying. In John 19 verses 28 to 30, it says, Later. Knowing that everything had now been finished. And so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it. Put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant. And lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And there is a a contrast here. And it shows up in what is not only spiritual suffering, but physical. Jesus was both fully God and, and fully man. And in these hours on the cross, the mystery of this becomes even more evident. Jesus. Jesus who going back, back again to a, a conversation with a Samaritan woman beside a well where he was questioned about the the source of the water. And and, and Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water, I give them 
will never thirst. Instead, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The water of life. Jesus, spiritually, he was the source and he called to to many to to come and, and to drink. Now he himself physically was thirsting. But the well... The well wasn't drying up, it was deepening and it was widening. Jesus had taught himself, again, embodying his own message, unless a grain of wheat, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Without the thirst, there can be no quenching. Without the death, there can be no life. Jesus, the the living water, would flow out again. He would become a source where we can all come and drink. All nations, all tribes, all people and all languages are pouring out of living water that all who are thirsty can come and can drink. And it is finished. It is finished. Who was that aimed at? His father, God, the watchers, the guards, the devil, us. Was spoken into the open. And the word used, a single word in the Greek, was often stamped on bills to say paid, paid, paid. Again, it is a a statement of his authority. Jesus had paid the price. There was nothing more to be given. Then the seventh and final saying from the cross. Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it was the Father again who came into view. Almost with relief as we listen now. It seems Jesus could call him father again. Some immense anguish, some some battle that had, had raged had now been won. And that intimacy was restored. And it was simple. It was simple this last saying. It was childlike. Jesus had surfaced from the depths, from the spiritual darkness. And it was to his dad again that he was now talking. These were the the very last words that Jesus spoke from the cross. And then we wait in the darkness, in the silence. And we can be afraid of that silence is unnerving and what is remarkable and you don't hear much about it was the state in which God is left in which the world was left in which we are left waiting questioning what happened after Jesus was was dead. His body was taken down from the cross. It was placed in the tomb. And the only thing that happened the next day on the Sabbath was that the tomb was sealed. 
and Roman soldiers were, were placed on it for fear that the disciples would come and, and steal the body. And in our response to this, I want us to take a look inside the mystery. Because for me, the, the most mysterious time is what happened. What happened between Good Friday and Easter Sunday? What happened between the death and the resurrection of Jesus? And I want us to remain there for a time. And for us in this waiting, in this silence to respond to this. I want us to think about where God, where God may have gone silent for us. See, I am sure, I am sure there will be prayers, prayers in our hearts that we may have prayed for a long time. Or maybe we even stopped praying them because it seemed that God wasn't listening, that he had gone silent. In Psalm 139, verses 23 to, to 24, it says, Search me, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, God is searching. God is searching. And if we ask him, he will place the, the magnifying glass over our hearts, over our prayers. You've been given a response card. It's called a, a prayer into the, the silence. And I'd like us all to think, what is in our hearts? What prayer, what one prayer have we prayed over and over and yet it seems to go into the silence it goes into the the time between the death and the resurrection of Jesus where we can only wait and I want us to write that prayer down just one prayer the most silent one and you're going to keep that card so don't worry about how personally it may feel writing this because it's between you and God one prayer that we've carried maybe for a very long time and we're going to pray that prayer not in a, a demanding way of God but knowing that he is listening and that prayer will be heard again even though he may still remain silent and once we've written that prayer down I'm going to lead us in a prayer as we all pray those prayers together silently and then we're going to take communion so just a couple of minutes in silence writing that one prayer down just between you and God now let's pray oh, lead us and just silently between you and God there's going to be space for you to, to pray that prayer Lord God 
it is something of a, a mystery. Lord, between the death and the resurrection of your son. Lord, and there's silence there. And Lord God, with, with our prayers, with all these prayers that have been written down, that are on our hearts, Lord, there's been silence there as well. And Lord, it's not that we don't trust you. Lord, it's not that we haven't got faith in you. It's not that we haven't seen other prayers answered. Lord, but these ones, we've carried the longest. And Lord, now, just in the silence, we're going to bring those prayers to the front of our minds again. And we're going to pray them. And I know you're going to hear them, Lord. So we're going to pray them now. Lord God, thank you for listening. And Lord God, I pray, even though there may not be an answer, Lord, you'd give us a peace about whatever we've just prayed. And Lord, we'll continue to wait faithfully for that answer to come. And we trust you with it, God. Lord, we say now, we trust you with it, God. Because you love us. And you know what what ways you want us to walk in our lives. And your knowledge is so far beyond us that why would we try and wrestle you down to earth to answer a prayer that you already know about and that you will help us to, to carry as we continue on our way. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.